You're listening to Rust Belt Running. Running is what makes me realize that, like, I'm a human being who is worth something. That is not a good measurement of my value as a human. We get between eight and 10,000 additional comments, and I read every one of them. So you had to run Sand Run for your first. You become race director and take it out. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's got to be old guy naked in the locker room. I, I get to spend time with my friend Adam. I get to do something with my friend. Right now, I'm not thinking much beyond what I'm going to be drinking next week at this time. Coleslaw on a taco is not taco, it's barbecue. And so we'll be discussing tonight with some occasional swear words from Andrew because he's upset. And that's okay. I know him as the biggest Kid Rock fan around. You rap that. <laughs> oh, dear God. You're listening to Rust Belt Running. I'm Adam Wheeler. Today, I'm actually not going to be joined by my co-host, Andrew Hedinger. He had something come up tonight. He's meeting with a friend of the pod, a former guest, Pharrell Wyatt. And so we didn't want to miss another week's episode after uh, technical difficulties a few weeks ago kept us from recording. So you're stuck with me and only me today. Uh, So a little bit of a different dynamic, a little bit of a different sort of show. Uh, Hopefully it'll work, though, for everybody listening. And uh, I think it's a really good episode. It's an episode that's really kind of near and dear to my heart because it allows me to combine uh, the two things that I really enjoy most, running and my background in coaching. Uh, What I'm going to be talking about today is is really some things I learned through all of my years of coaching soccer, uh, specifically related to performance, some different uh, performance mindsets uh, that I've utilized uh, with, the, with the boys that I've coached at high school soccer um, that I've then applied to my own running. Uh, they're mindsets that I think are valuable for anybody and they're running, uh, valuable for anybody applying them to different facets of their life. And so what I'm going to talk about with some of these different mindsets today is just really kind of like how I stumbled upon them, uh, ways I've utilized them in my coaching, ways I've utilized them in my running, uh, as well as how I've applied them to my life in general, and then just some different uh, maybe tips, techniques that people can use to to incorporate them into their own lives. Uh, before I move on to doing that, uh, just if you want to find myself or Andrew or the pod on social media, uh, you can find me, Adam, on social media at Wheels Up and CLE. You can find Andrew on social media at Andrew Runs A Lot. If you want to find the pod itself on social media, you can find it at Rust Belt Running. Um, Something Andrew and I talked about last week, and I'm not really going to go into too much detail because this is really an us story, uh, but it turns out that we were right, that we did enjoy our our, uh, group run last week for Global Running Day. Really great event held down at Edgewater uh, up in Lake Erie in Cleveland. Um, You know, Andrew and I will talk about it in more detail when he and I record next week, but we just really had a great time uh, running with a lot of different people, a lot of different groups. It was well-organized. Um, and it was just really good to get out and run with other people. You know, something Andrew and I keep referencing as, as the year goes on is how nice it is as normalcy kind of slowly unfolds. And uh, something I realized as I was standing there with 300 other runners at one point was like I was looking around and here I was for the first time in I really don't know um, amongst a, a large crowd of people, you know, standing around without masks. And yeah, we were outdoors, not like you would have been at much risk anyway. But it was still one of those like kind of like one of those benchmarks of like, oh, yeah, I'm in a crowd right now. I'm around a lot of other people that I don't know and I'm not wearing a mask and I feel completely safe. And uh, so we really had a good time doing that. The weather, the the weather did not hold out the way we were hoping it did. But, you know, it was still really pleasant sort of misting rain to run in. Um, Really gorgeous scenery there. It's not really a place that I've run too much around. Edgewater is a little bit of a hike for me from where I live, not the easiest to get to. So it was a nice uh, it was a nice trip to someplace new in Cleveland, an iconic location in Cleveland to run and uh, a place that I want to definitely check out again uh, down the road as I do some training. Um, so shifting to really the meat of this episode, um, I've referenced it before that I've spent a number of years coaching soccer. Uh, I, I started coaching soccer when I was 18 years old. I started coaching youth soccer. I think you 11 maybe, so like nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. and um, I quickly pivoted when I turned 19 to coaching high school soccer and all told, I think I've got 12 years now, uh, 12 years of experience coaching high school soccer. And uh, when I was in high school, I played for a team that was, was really good. I went to a very small school, but it was a school that had a very good team. I had a great coach who, who knew how to get the most out of the players that he had. Uh, He conditioned the hell out of us. Uh, Really my first experience with seeing what running could do for you uh, was with, uh, was with, 
two days in high school soccer. And, uh, you know, one of the things that being on a really good high school team, especially at a small school, really instilled in me was this idea of, um, I guess, I guess um, the concept that hard work really can can help somebody overcome a lot of a lot of obstacles kind of like you know as an underdog uh we we played and beat teams that really on paper we had no um really no business playing with and so really from a really um i don't want to say early age because it's high school but you know heading into adulthood i had this i had this experience that really instilled in me this this idea that if you worked very very hard uh you could overcome a whole lot of obstacles and you could really you know you could be an underdog and beat uh, odds that really weren't in your favor. And that's something that really stayed with me. And I brought that to my coaching. And what that meant for me when I started coaching was that I had a real uh, thirst to find uh, high-level performers uh, to learn from them. So I, I started reading uh, right from the get-go uh, about really good coaches, you know, coaches that had had sustained success. You know, people like you know, Bill Belichick at that time was starting to have his his run with the Patriots, the, the three Super Bowls in four years. Uh, Greg Popovich was starting his Spurs dynasty. Uh, I read a lot about John Wooden, whose UCLA uh, men's basketball teams in the 60s and 70s won 10 national championships in 12 years. That There's nothing on that scale that's ever been done before or since. Um, you know, so coaches that really had an outsized um, – had outside success, you know, didn't just win one title, but won multiple titles, did things that really nobody else was doing. And, you know, so what that did was uh, I really started to learn about performance and about the things that consistent, successful performers do. And as time went on, I started, I guess, to shift a little bit away from learning from individual performers and trying to mimic those performers themselves to learning more about maybe the individual facets of performance. And really what I'm going to talk about today are some of those individual facets of performance. Um, you know, different mindsets, different, you know, ways of training that uh, are, are long-term successful. Uh, I think all of these facets and mindsets are, are fairly simple. Uh, I don't think as I talk about them that there's going to be anything that's going to be overly complex about what I'm discussing. But one of the things that I'll caution people on is that simple and easy are two very different ideas. And, uh, you know, just, you know, putting out there, you know, as for as simple as these things are, as much as I try to practice these on a consistent basis, there's still things that even though they're simple, I don't always find them easy to do. Um, I have really, really strong stretches where I, you know, really feel like I'm adhering to them. And I have stretches where I really feel like I kind of lose track and I have to reconnect different, uh, different aspects of these performances. So, um, those are, those are things I'll touch on as I discuss them. Um, so let's, let's dig in, let's dig into some of these concepts and, and, uh, really kind of pick apart some of what I'm talking about here with these concepts in terms of what they mean for performance, what they can mean for your running and how you can apply them to life. Uh, the first one is one that you might be familiar with if you've listened to us before, uh, you know that Andrew and I are huge fans of Steve Magnus and Brad Stolberg. And so the first concept is uh, the idea of stress plus rest equals growth. Uh, Brad and Steve really made this the centerpiece of their first book, Peak Performance. Uh, and really what's great about the concept is how simple it really is. Just basically you stress yourself in some way and then you make sure that you rest. And if you do that consistently, you will grow. It has broad applications. You can apply it to any aspect of your life, anything you're trying to build, anything you're trying to um, develop yourself in. And uh, you know, specifically when it comes to running, I think this really piggybacks nicely off of what Andrew and I started to talk about last week as we started to discuss you know, the, the octagon Andrew's calling it, some of our, our different elements of, of good running that he and I are starting to talk about. Uh, we talked last week about... Um, one very hard type of workout, speed workouts. And then we talked about our easy runs. And, you know, those are really great examples right here of stress and rest. You know, any sort of a hard workout that you're going to do as a runner, whether it's a long run, a race pace run, a speed work sort of run, uh, those are stressful runs. Those are runs where you are really pushing your body in one form or another to grow yourself as a, uh, as a runner. And so they are workouts that tend to leave you feeling more tired. They're workouts that have you going to the well more often. Um, workouts that you can't do on a daily basis because if you do, you're going to overtrain and burn yourself out. 
And the flip side of that then is the rest. And when it comes to rest as a runner, um, Andrew and I discussed easy runs and we discussed specifically how a lot of times runners tend to do easy runs um, too fast. And I, I confess that I have done easy runs too fast in the past. And that as I start to focus on what's going to be my fall training cycle pretty soon, one of my, probably maybe my biggest goal is actually going to be running my easy runs at a more appropriate pace. And that might sound like a weird thing to focus on when I'm, you know, when I'm trying to push myself to getting another Boston qualifying time, but something that I'm recognizing that I've been doing poorly for a lot of years running is running those easy runs at way too fast of a pace. And that that's basically robbing my body of the opportunity to really rest and recover and enjoy the benefits of easy runs. And, and I don't want to rehash this too much because we talked about this on last week's episode. Um, when I used to talk about this with my high school athletes, um, this was actually one of the concepts that I thought would be easiest for them to grasp and was actually really hard for them to grasp because uh, I think a lot of times we have sort of a misconception of what the time that we are going to use for any sort of practice or growth is for. And so if I was you know, designing a two-hour practice, that's a two-hour window of time in which we are going to work on different things. But the thing about that two-hour window of time is that you're not practicing at a consistent level for those two hours. Um, and a lot of times high schoolers would just simply view it as like, oh, this is a two-hour block to work on something. And really what I was looking for out of my athletes was less about working hard for the entire two hours, but more of sort of directing their focus at the appropriate time. So if we were going to say, work on a drill, that's maybe going to take 10 minutes of time. I would want full intense focus for those 10 minutes, you know, essentially 10 minutes of working in a game like scenario where they are fully focused, where they are fully pushing themselves physically and mentally. And then we'd stop and maybe we take a quick break. We get water. Maybe we explain something and move on to the next drill. And for those moments, I would want them to kind of decompress a little bit, rest, recover. And then we would go hard and do a different drill. If we were scrimmaging, I wouldn't want just sort of a, you know, lackadaisical half-ass effort to get through a 20-minute scrimmage, I would want a full-on 20-minute hard, intense effort and then back off. And, you know, the goal was always to make sure that we were utilizing um, the moments when we were working with the ball. We want to make sure that we were utilizing that time to be as game-like as we possibly could, essentially practicing the mindsets uh, of what you want to feel like in a game. And then as soon as that time is over, to basically kind of back off and give yourself that little bit of rest before we apply things, you know, for the next drill. And, and I think too often we just simply view things as we view chunks of time as like, well, I just simply have to be semi-productive for this entire chunk of time. And, you know, I think when we're looking at that, uh, I think we have a tendency to maybe um, waste some of that time because we're not really being fully focused. We're not doing deep work. We're not doing uh, work that really pushes us. We're just sort of like, pushing ourselves through the day until we get to the point where we can stop doing whatever we're doing. And I think this is an area where we can do a lot better, where we'd be much better off focusing on being really intentional with how we use our time for however long we plan on doing it, uh, and then resting, fully disengaging and resting. Um, you know, I'm working right now on starting an online nutrition coaching business, and this is an element of when I apply this to my own work, I've really tried to design my days to be really intentional for about 45 minutes of time where I'm fully locked in, no phone, no internet, uh, fully locked into the work that I'm going to do. That's my stress. That's that stress period that I'm really working on. And then I will have a timer in the other room that when it goes off, forces me to disengage from whatever I'm working on at my desk. Uh, I get up, I turn off that timer and I fully disengage for about 15 minutes. I might get up and I might walk around. Uh, I might meditate. I might, you know, surf the internet. I might get my phone out and scroll through Twitter. Like that time is my time. It's my time to sort of disengage from the work that I'm doing. It's my time to rest. And then usually what I'll do is I'll have another 45 minute to an hour long session of deep sort of focus work plan. And so if you're thinking about running, it's sort of similar to an interval run where you go out and you run really hard for your predetermined amount of time. And then when you're done, you get your recovery in and you're sort of like take that deep breath and relax, catch your breath. And then you go back and you do another interval run. And if you can consistently do that time and time and time again, 
uh, you will find that you grow over time as opposed to like just sort of coasting through where you're semi-productive, but you don't really have that deep focused work that allows you to grow followed by that really that true rest and recovery that allows you to unplug and catch your breath. Um, when I think about how I apply this to my life too, as a runner, I don't really differentiate um, between all the other things that I do in my life and my running. Um, you know, I was listening to an interview that Katie Arnold, she's an ultra marathoner and an author Katie Arnold was doing. She was talking about how uh, her training when she won the Leadville 100. And one of the things that she discussed uh, with her training was how she didn't really have a set training program. She, uh, she'd recently had a child um, and she didn't really have a whole lot of time to necessarily always set aside consistent time to run. And so what she did is she said uh, she basically viewed everything that she was doing in her life as training. So if she was pushing around uh, her child in a stroller. Well, that was training. That was her being on her feet. Um, if she was just doing normal daily activities that had her on her feet, you know, Andrew and I talk about how we both have sort of active jobs where we're on our feet quite a bit. You know, I look at that sort of as part of like my training. You know, it's not running, but it's supplemental. I'm on my feet. I'm moving around. I'm active. I'm engaged. Um, and so what I try to do then is knowing that I am active both as a runner and both, you know, with my job, I try to make sure that on the days that I have off from work that I do something that truly allows me to unplug a little bit. Maybe I do a little bit of a hike. Uh, maybe I take a walk. Uh, just something that isn't necessarily a hard workout, but allows me to sort of disengage from the work that I've been doing from the running I've been doing and truly rest and recover. That's really kind of my rest period. And if I can combine those things, it leads to growth. Um, and so really, I just, I try to look at everything that I have going on in my life and view them in terms of like training load almost, and then make sure that when I have a true off day from running and from work, that I have something that allows me to rest, to still be active, still be doing something, but not necessarily pushing myself hard. That really allows me to just go out, enjoy nature, which is how I, I like to rest and recover, um, and just really kind of recharge my batteries. And when I find that I do that, uh, I find that I really am ready to hit the ground running the next day and I do feel recharged and ready to go. Um, next one that I'll talk about is a favorite one of ours. Uh, it's the idea that consistency compounds. This goes back to the famous Des Linden tweet that she put out in her training leading up to her 2018 Boston Marathon win about how some days she feels like it flows and she's born to be a runner and on some days uh, she struggles to show up and that she does it anyway. And if you keep doing that, consistency compounds. Uh, this is one of those things that when I talk about how unexpected uh, this year's running has been for me so far, the fact that I thought I was going to have to come into this year and really kind of slowly build into things after not really running consistently the last half of last year. And really, I haven't run very consistently the last two years. I've been dealing with injuries and, you know, constantly starting and stopping, trying to get back into it. And then COVID, um, I really didn't expect the success that I've been having so far. And one of the reasons that I think I am having that, that success is that this is the start of my second decade of running. This is year 11. And for the better part of 10 years, I have in one form or another been a runner and been running and it hasn't always gone smoothly. It hasn't always gone well. Uh, I haven't always, um, I haven't always been able to do the work in the way that I want to, but I have done the work as often as I can. And what that has led to is a, is a pretty solid foundation, a uh, foundation that has you know been under my feet um, that I think has allowed me to jump into running a little bit faster this year. Um, and it's led to some really good results. Um, when I used to discuss this with my high school athletes, um, I would talk about how it was really important uh, on the days where we weren't working really hard to still show up and put in the time and put in the effort uh, so that they had that, they were building those habits where they weren't going to have days where they switched off. Because when you have days where you switch off or you have days where you uh, are just sort of going through the motions, you build the habit of going through the motions and it becomes easier to switch off during games. Um, I was specifically a goalkeeper coach and I tended to build my training uh, around really sort of, uh, I really tried to build my training around the games that the guys had. And if we had a game that I knew was going to be really intense, that was really going to have my guys being very physically active, a lot of diving, really beating themselves up, I would make sure that the training around those games was fairly easy. Training that wasn't necessarily going to stress them, that wasn't going to have them doing too much, that was going to beat them up, 
but I would still have a routine of going out and working on very basic things, but, you know, things that were kind of low load, uh, you know, things that were not too physically impactful, working on some footwork, working on basic catching, but those were things that still were refining technique. And, uh, you know, I would stress to the guys when I saw them slacking a little bit, that they weren't being consistent, that they were developing these really bad habits. And that if they continue to do that, those habits would show up in games. And so, um, I had it down to where I could, I could have a training session for my guys on what would be cons you know, considered an easy day down to about 15 minutes, but it would be an intense 15 minutes in that there would be a lot of reps, um, not very physically demanding, but mentally demanding. Uh, and the sort of days that really demanded that they focus on sort of the finer details of the work that we were doing. And as they got better at being consistent there, when we did get to the hard days, we didn't have to worry about building those skills because those skills had already been built. We could really get to the work that was going to stretch them. We could get to the skills, you know, the practices on the skills that were going to really stretch them and expand their capabilities as goalkeepers. And so the more they understood, um, the more they understood uh, that, uh, that idea of consistency compounding, uh, the better able they were to make those minutes work from them. And it allowed them to, pick up things faster because they had built those habits. They had really kind of worked on building that solid foundation that allowed them to then stretch themselves. And so as runners, I think this is something we can always work on. Uh, you know, easy miles is I think a really good way to do this. Getting back to what I talked about with wanting to do a better job of running my easy miles for my fall marathon cycle. Um, those are miles that in the past I would have considered throwaway miles. And honestly, I would have run them at a faster pace than I probably should have simply because I would just want to get them done. I don't tend to like running easy miles. I don't like feeling like I'm running slow. Um, I like to push myself. And so those are runs that in the past would have been very easy to skip to look outside and say like, Oh my God, it's pouring. I don't want to do this. Oh my God, it's cold. I don't want to do this. Looking at my weather app. Oh my Lord, the, the heat index is 95 today. I don't want to do this. And yet those are the miles that if I'm consistently showing up, they build part of a much stronger foundation that then allows me to challenge myself with those harder runs. And so the more that I do that, the more that I consistently show up on the days that I want to, I build the habit of one, showing up on days that I don't want to, and two, uh, showing up on days that I don't want to, uh, to build the sort of foundation that allows me to really stretch myself with harder work work that really is going to make the difference between, you know, maybe running a couple of minutes slower than a BQ and coming in a little bit under a BQ. Um, and so that's something that really, um, that really, I think the more you're able to build that habit of showing up when you don't want to, uh, it allows you to stretch yourself in ways that you think are only is only going to happen when you're really pushing yourself with hard workouts. Um, thinking again to building my business, this has really been a challenge for me because I've always worked for somebody else. Uh, so I have to show up, you know, I don't have an option of not showing up when I don't feel like it. I have to punch the clock. Um, and working in the service industry right at this minute, we're understaffed. Like it's not even a matter of like, Oh, I, you know, maybe I'll take this one day where I call off. If I do that, I screw over coworkers because we're already kind of at our limit in terms of what we're able to do with our staffing. Um, that's so much harder when you're working for yourself because I don't have anybody to answer to. The only person I have to answer to is really, is myself and how I'm going to feel about myself if I don't show up. So this has been something that I've really been having to work hard on. And, and essentially what I've done is I've really tried to view it as uh, training for my attention almost where I'm looking at my attention as being the thing that I'm training, you know, on the days where I get up and I'm super motivated to do the work. Well, man, that's awesome. Who doesn't love being motivated to do the work that really is going to challenge them. But on those days where I wake up and I'm tired, you know, maybe I'm in the, maybe I'm like right now where I'm at in a training cycle where I'm just super tired and fatigued from all the running I've been doing and work has been really hectic and I'm tired. I, I don't want to sit down and, and type out a blog post on nutrition or I don't want to, you know, do my budget for my business. Uh, I don't want to, you know, make phone calls to set up appointments at banks to set up bank accounts and uh, tax IDs and all those things like that's, that's it's boring stuff. It's not stuff that I'm particularly thrilled about doing, but it's also the foundational stuff that I have to do so that I can actually build a business that's going to do something. And so on those days, I really challenge myself to, you know, to say like, okay, you know, this is a day where you're going to challenge yourself to really work hard on training your attention for 45 minutes, 
training your attention for those 45 minutes that um, where you don't want to be doing this. But if you can work through that rough patch, you're going to have established that habit of being better at showing up when you don't want to. And so that's, that's, it's again, it's very simple. Oh, it's simple. You know, just show up when you don't want to, but you know, you're, you're fighting emotions, you're fighting fatigue, you're fighting, um, you know, you're fighting doubt. It's really easy. It's very easy for me to sometimes doubt myself and just be like, Oh, I don't feel like doing this today. And so I'll do something else. Um, so just the more that you're able to show up on those days, like that says where you, where it doesn't flow, where you don't feel like doing it, um, is I think really where a, a lot of performance is unlocked. Next one, presence over distraction. Uh, another way to phrase this is mindfulness. This was always really tough to discuss with high school students because one, they're always on their phones. Like I grew up in the generation where I didn't have a phone until I was in college. I didn't have high speed internet until I was in college. And so uh, it wasn't like I was an undistracted kid. You know, anybody that grew up before smartphones and social media and all that stuff that says they weren't distracted, that's crap. They were distracted by other things. But um, I didn't have something in my pocket at all times that could distract me. And so getting guys to understand the power of presence, of being mindful of where they're at was something that was really hard for them to understand. Um, you know, then you talk about things like meditation. I, I, I'm on and off with meditation. I fully understand how beneficial it is to me. There's, there are months where I just am fully locked in with my meditation um, and then for some reason it'll lapse and then I will go months without doing it. And I always feel really bad about that. Um, and then I have to do a little bit of forgiveness and just realize like you can't be on all the time. Um, but mindfulness and meditation aren't necessarily the same thing. Meditation is just one way to build mindfulness. And what I have done, uh, the way I kind of devised it with my high school students, with my high school soccer players, with mindfulness was, um, really just getting them to focus on what exactly was happening in the moment, as opposed to getting worried about what something happening meant. And so I would actually train the habit with them of if they made a mistake in a game to immediately switch to what is the next thing that I can do right? Because it's very easy to make a mistake and to throw your arms up and be like, oh my God, I can't believe I made the mistake. How stupid is that? And you switch off. And you take yourself out of the flow of the game. Um, this is something that when I was coaching my brother, um, FYI, it's never fun to coach a sibling. There's all sorts of dynamics there that make it very hard for that relationship to work. Sometimes you're a brother. Sometimes you're a coach. Um, yeah, that was not always the easiest thing to do. But my brother um, had this habit. He, he played forward. He was an all-state forward in high school. Um he had this habit when he would lose the ball, like he'd get frustrated. He would like reach down and pick up like blades of grass and throw them in the air. And it's like, Jonathan, what are you doing, man? The other team's dribbling the other way down the field now. What are you doing? Um, and so what I eventually learned to do was in practice, I would actually coach guys on building the habit of if you lost the ball, like what's the next thing that you could do? Was it sprinting back five yards to play defense? Was it going and retrieving the ball and shielding the opponent off the ball? Um, you know, whatever the next best thing you could do right was what you needed to immediately do. And what that got those players to do was stop thinking about what their screw up meant or to stop thinking about how they had screwed up. And it got them just to simply focus on, oh, I can just simply shift into doing the next thing right. I can just be present in this moment and do the next thing right. Um, when I think about this with my running, this is something that I've really try to become better at as a runner over time because I, as I've been chasing Boston, one of the things that I have a really bad habit of doing is running a workout, running an interval even, and immediately looking at like, well, what does this mean? What do you think this means? Oh my God, I ran my intervals faster than I had planned. What does this mean? Should I completely change my training program? Am I running too slow or my pace is too conservative? What do I need to do? And the thing is, is that when you've been running long enough, you know that you have really good days and you know that you have really bad days and you don't really fully know where you're at until you have a sizable chunk of mileage and training under your belt. And once you have that, then you can evaluate. And so I have gone through half cycles, like the cycle that I'm completing right now, where I was consistently beating my goal times in all of my runs. And then I said, you know what, you should probably adapt a little bit about what you're doing because 
your body's telling you it's ready for more. And so I did. I adjusted my training a little bit. Um, I gave myself more ambitious goals and I ran towards them. And I have, I've met them or even exceeded them a little bit. And so that's made me more confident in my running. And when I race uh, next Friday, we'll see exactly what that confidence means if I really have unlocked a new level of performance. Um, but that was something that I figured out over a sustained period of time. Uh, if you're if you're constantly within a single moment reevaluating everything that you're doing, you're not being present. You're not being mindful. You're you're getting super anxious about um, what everything means, and that takes you out of performance. And it gets you it gets you doubting essentially where you're at. And doubting yourself is never something that's going to build good performance. There's a psychologist out there named Judd Brewer, and he recently released a book called Unwinding Anxiety. And one of the things he talks about when he discusses presence and mindfulness is the idea of, of getting what's called flow state, which is essentially the state where we feel most at ease. If you ever have thought, like, you're out running and you're in the zone, that's flow state. And one of the things he discusses in there is that flow state really is sort of the opposite of anxiety, that when you're anxious about something, you can't get into flow state because you can't get relaxed, you can't get into that zone because you're worried about what's going on, what it means, what's going on, and... Um, that really letting go of that anxiety, being present, just simply accepting that you are where you're at right now and working within those confines is the way to get into flow state. And I think a really good example of this, uh, I'll come back to Des Linden uh, and I'll come back to her 2018 Boston Marathon victory. Uh, if you go back and listen to interviews with Des about that race, she was feeling so bad early in the race that she contemplated dropping out and what she ended up doing was, you know, there's the famous video of her waiting for Shalane Flanagan when Shalane left the course for a few minutes, uh, for about a minute to use the uh, porta potty. And Des basically waited for her and helped her catch back up to the pack. And then when she helped Shalane catch up there, I think, I think it was Molly Huddle that she went to kind of pace a little bit. And um, along the line of, of helping out those two competitors, she found that she stopped feeling as bad as she had been and she got herself into a, a rhythm, into a zone, into flow state. And, uh, you know, instead of focusing on like what wasn't going right, um, she remained present and all of a sudden she just felt good and she found herself by herself, you know, up front and, you know, the rest is history there. So, uh, you know, presence is one of those things that uh, you know, however you choose to practice it, you know, if you want to meditate, there's some great apps out there. I use uh, an app called my life. Uh, there's headspace, there's calm. Um, they can certainly help you build presence and mindfulness. Um, but if you don't want to meditate, if meditation isn't your thing and it's not for everybody, I think just cultivating uh, a pattern of recognizing when you're feeling a certain, you know, when you're, when you're, if you're out running, and the running isn't going well, or the running is going great, and you find yourself drifting towards, well, what does this mean? Developing that habit of pulling back and just simply accepting that you're where you're at right then uh, is really something that can, if you can consistently build that habit, it can help you build mindfulness. And, and like I said, if over time you find that you're consistently overshooting your goals, or maybe you just can't get to the goals that you set for yourself and that's consistently happening, then yeah, after a certain period of time, then go ahead and reevaluate. You know, maybe you need to tweak your training, but doing it consistently day in and day out makes it really hard to one enjoy running if you're constantly doubting, you know, yourself uh, or constantly trying to like evaluate yourself based on one workout. It's really hard just to enjoy the workout and enjoy the process of the workout. Um, and then two, uh, I think the other thing that it does is it just it makes you it makes you super anxious and it makes it really hard to just um, to really handle the long haul with running. You know, any sort of training program is a long haul and you've got to get through a lot of workouts to get from the beginning to get to the starting line and uh, really valuing the process of experiencing that long haul is really the thing that's going to get you to that start line healthy and ready as opposed to constantly tweaking based on how one single workout goes. Uh, speaking of process, that is my next, uh, my next performance uh, sort of mindset uh, is really valuing the idea of process over 
um, external validation, you know, enjoying just the internal drive, internal joy, the process of showing up versus looking at outcomes and looking at external validation. Um, you know, listen, PRs running fantastic races. Um, those are great things. And, you know, I, I would be lying to you if I told you that I don't fondly look back at races that I just blew out of the water and go like, man, that was fun. Like that's, that's a big part of why I do this training. It's a big part of why I line up on race day. Uh, those are great races. You know, if you look at my profile picture, uh, for any of my social media feeds, um, it's me running the 2018 towpath 10 miler. That was the first race that I ever finished top three in. And the specific reason I have that picture is because yeah, that was an ego boost. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm fairly fast, like for local races. Um, but like usually to the point of like, Hey, I place in my age group. Um, it's rare. I've only done it twice in 10 plus years of running where I've placed top three, um, in a race at all. So yeah, it's an ego boost. I like having that memory of that, but here's the thing twice in 10 plus years. If that's the only thing I'm running for, I'm going to, I'm not going to enjoy the process of getting there. You know, running, running is something that takes a lot of time. I run six days a week. It takes a lot of time out of my schedule. And if running six days a week, um, to get myself placed in a local race, if that's the only reason I'm doing for it, I'm going to hate those six days a week. Cause there's gonna be a lot of races where I'm not doing that, or I'm not going to challenge myself or enjoy bigger races. Like I'm never going to finish top three in the Cleveland marathon. So does that mean I'm never going to run it? No, I love the Cleveland marathon. I love the big city racing experience. As much as I like small local races and the sort of intimate feel that they give me, I love the experience of being surrounded by 20,000 other runners and tens of thousands more spectators along the race course. Um, and so if that, if that external validation of those outcomes are all I'm looking at, um, you know, I'm going to make myself miserable. Uh, when I used to talk to my high school players about this, you know, high school soccer plays a 16 game schedule and then you have playoffs. And obviously the goal is to win games, but you have a lot of flexibility as a high school coach over the sort of schedule that you have. Uh, you know, you have your conference games and that's going to take up, you know, let's say it takes up half your, half your season schedule or maybe a little bit less. That still leaves you with, you know, eight to 10 games against teams that, you kind of had control over scheduling. You can schedule a gauntlet of just the hardest teams in the area. And that will, that will do certain things for your team. If you've got a good enough team that you think uh, is ready for that challenge. Uh, and the coach that I played for did um, that can help you raise your level of performance. And, and like I said, at the beginning of this episode, I, you know, having a coach that scheduled those hard games and having us play against teams that were what, I would have considered out of our league and being able to beat some of them um, that really instilled in me uh, a, a deep seated drive to push myself against all odds uh, to accomplish great things. And I, I brought that to my coaching. Um, you know, there are coaches out there on the other hand that want to schedule games against teams that they know their guys are going to easily win. And you know what? I mean, that can be fun that can be fun to go out there and know that you've got a pretty easy win in the bank and you can get to the end of the season and, you know, maybe you've got double digit victories and uh, you feel pretty good about yourself, but it's a matter of, well, you know, how much did those victories test you? Um, did those victories put you in a position to win your conference? Did those victories put you in a position to progress in the state's tournament? Um, I, as a player made it to the sweet 16 once my senior year. And as a coach, I've done it twice and uh, let me tell you something like that. I would rather, I would rather go eight and eight and then hit the playoffs and have been tested to the point where I know I have a team that's capable of fighting for, you know, a seat, you know, in, in the state semis, state finals versus going 13 and three and getting bounced in the second round of the playoffs. I want my team to be tested to their limits. And as a runner, I want to be tested to my limits. And so when I would talk to the guys about, you know, what we were shooting for with our games, certainly first on our list was winning. You know, you always want to win. There's going to be days where you show up and you just simply don't have your A game in you and you have to find a way to squeak out a victory. And when you do that, you get to the end of the game and you pat yourself on the back and you go, man, I don't know how we did it. It was ugly, but we got it. 
But then the other thing we would look at was the process. We had specific, uh, you know, performance targets. You know, we want to win 50-50 balls a certain number of times. We want to create X number of goal scoring chances. We would want to, you know, limit the other team to X number of scoring chances. And so we would look at those things because we we identified those things as you know, essentially performance targets that would allow us to uh, basically put us in the best the best position to win. And so we would get to the end of a game against a team where maybe it was an ugly game and we could say, okay, we played like crap and we basically, we barely squeaked it out, but did we hit our performance targets? And so really we were kind of looking at two parallel tracks of performance. Did we get the results, but then did we get the little process oriented results that we think put us on the path to victory, you know, give us the best chance to win games. And, you know, so we would talk about that and we would talk about how you can be satisfied with, um, you can be satisfied with winning a game, but also demand more of yourself. And I think when you're focusing more, when you're, when you have that ability to focus on the process as opposed to outcomes, you don't get too frustrated when the outcomes don't go your way and you don't get too complacent when they do. There's always that looking for that next step, that next edge. Um, and so I, you know, I, when I look at it in terms of my running, um, you know, I try to do things like, um, you know, with my hard workouts, am I consistently hitting my target paces? Um, cause if I'm not, then I need to reevaluate my training plan. Like I was talking about a few minutes ago, you know, do I need to make it a little bit easier on myself because I've shot a little too high? You know, my, my goals are a little too hard for me or have I been a little too conservative and do I need to tweak things there? Um, a big thing that I'm really trying to work on, especially as I've been, you know, seeing Tim Pavlak down at POP and, and coming off of some imbalances is making sure that I hit my process outcomes of doing 10 minutes of daily mobility work, usually after work, um, you know, working on some of my imbalances. I have, you know, some weak mid-back issues that I need to work on that'll help my posture. I tend to have some tightness in my hamstrings and glutes. So am I doing the things there that will allow me to run pain-free and injury-free? Um, my strength work is as dedicated a runner as I am. My strength work has always been one of those things that I have been, I've been flaky on. I'll just, I'll put it right out there. I'll, I've been flaky on it. And that's probably led to some long-term issues that have kept me from running at the levels that I want to run at, even though I run at a fairly consistent level. You know, so right there is a perfect example. I run at a high level, what I consider to be a high level, you know, challenging for Boston qualifying time. But if I'm not hitting those process goals of doing daily strength work and daily mobility work, am I holding myself back? Possibly. Am I getting complacent with just simply having a BQ? Possibly. Um, and I think some of the training that I've put in this year shows that. And so really being better at focusing on process of having those few things that I look at and say like, hey, you know, yeah, am I going to celebrate doing daily strength work? Like, no, not really. I probably shouldn't be. But, you know, that's not like, that's not the performance outcome I'm looking for. The performance outcome I'm looking for is a good race. But if I'm able to somehow celebrate and make sure that I commit to those daily performance goals of doing daily strength and mobility work, will that lead to the performance outcomes that I'm looking for? Yeah. And so making sure that I value that process, um, that I value doing those little things on a consistent basis is really a way to shift the mindset a little bit to make sure that I'm doing the work that makes that end goal, that performance outcome possible. Uh, next one, growth mindsets. Uh, this is something that I really didn't discover until later on in my coaching career. And it's something that I had wish I realized earlier. Uh, growth mindsets is, is a concept that's been pioneered uh, by a researcher named Carol Dweck. Uh, she wrote a great book about it called Mindset. Uh, and basically the work posits the idea that there are two competing mindsets out there for people, a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset would say that a straight A student in school is a straight A student because they're naturally smart. And so if you're not a straight A student, it's because you're naturally not as smart. Whereas a growth mindset says, well, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, growth mindset looks at it and says, well, just because you didn't get a good grade today, it doesn't mean that you don't get the material. It doesn't mean that you're not smart. It just means that you don't get the material yet. That word yet ends up being really key when you talk about growth mindsets. And it's really super interesting to see how they've tested this. Uh, the book talks a little bit about some different studies that were done 
to see how teaching students about growth mindset could affect how they approach their work. And one of the, one of the studies essentially uh, took two groups of kids and the, the students were, were both taught uh, just basic study habits, you know, just different ways of studying, different ways of, of, you know, studying material to better understand it. But then one of the groups, in addition to that, was taught about growth mindset. And it basically taught about the idea that this is what your brain does as it's learning. These are, you know, the different neural pathways that are mapped. Um, this is how your brain essentially grows when you're le learning new material. And uh, that, you know, your brain isn't just this organ that's fixed and doesn't ever change. And the group that was taught those ways about how the brain actually changes as it learns ended up doing better and retaining more information than the group that wasn't told that. And it's got some really powerful findings. You know, there were students in that study group that were told about this that you know, would say things like, so you mean I, I, I don't always have to be dumb? Um, and that's, that's a direct quote from the book. Um, so this is one of those things that I, growth mindset is something that I really love as a coach because I taught, when I coached, I always coached at smaller, more underfunded schools, you know, schools that were, you know, kind of like my own, uh, where we were going to be playing against teams that were better funded, that had better youth programs, uh, that had more kids playing club soccer, you know, teams that were essentially just a little bit out of our league. And if the guys that I was coaching truly believed that they were less than those teams, well, then they were going to stay in that sort of fixed mindset. They weren't going to grow and improve as much as they could. And so as I became a more experienced coach and I learned about growth mindset, I would discuss about the different ways they were going to grow and expand and how the different practices we were doing weren't just about going through the motions of doing the drills, like I talked about earlier in this episode, but were really about, um, you know, growing their physical and mental capacities. Um, when I, the first goalkeeper that I ever coached at Ravenna was a really good kid. I had actually taught him when I was still teaching there. Um, and I got him, my first year coaching him was his senior year and he was a really good kid. He was very raw, you know, physically talented, but very raw in terms of his skill. And he was all over the place in terms of being worried about being scored on in specific ways. And I remember sitting down with him and talking about growth mindset and specifically talking about, this is the training that I'm going to do with you. And we're going to grow these capabilities first. And once you've mastered those techniques and, you know, you're, your, your brain has grown and, and physically you've mastered these techniques, it's going to make it easier for you then to move on to other techniques. It's not about you being a good, bad, a good goalkeeper or a bad goalkeeper. It's about building those skills that make you a more capable goalkeeper day by day. And um, I mean, the improvement that that kid demonstrated was tremendous. He ended up being all conference his senior year and uh, we finished second in the conference. And uh, it was really cool to see him get out of that I'm bad mindset into a I'm growing daily mindset. Uh, and it really worked wonders for him. In terms of how to apply this to running, um, you know, Andrew and I talk about this, about how, you know, we are, again, a little bit on the higher end of running in terms of our paces. We've both run, you know, marathons in the lower three levels. Um, we're also very clear about what we're not like we're not going to be guys that are challenging for like a u.s olympic qualifying time or anything like that like that's not the upper range of our capability and we're never going to get there like that's not where we're at but i do think something andrew and i are pretty good at is understanding where we're at um but also understanding that there's room for improvement and understanding that the longer we do this and the more we test ourselves that we are capable of growing um into better runners you know the more we're consistent with our training and the more that we keep, you know, repeating our, our, the work that we've been doing, uh, the more opportunities for growth that there are, that there are. Uh, and I, I think the training that I'm finishing up right now is really proof of that. Um, it's really, it really has hit me out of nowhere. And, you know, I I've talked about it before that I think a big part of it is just some of the postural work that I've done in addition to the physical therapy that I've gotten. And when I run now, I can feel how much more fluid that I am. And I didn't really realize that before. Uh, you know, it's like, how do you know that you're going to run more fluid until you've actually done the things that are going to make you more fluid and make things easier and more efficient for you. But as I've done that, I've come to understand, like I have another area of just another level of running that I'm capable of unlocking that I haven't gotten to yet. If I had 
simply stayed where I was three years ago, which was a good year, you know, two BQs three years ago. That's, that's an outstanding year. But if I believed that that was the highest level I performed at, I might've gotten discouraged because I still, you know, I missed out on Boston for two years. Um, you know, those BQs were great, but they weren't quite great enough. And, um, but instead there was always that belief of like, well, I haven't, it's, it's not that I can't get to Boston, that I can't get to Boston. It's that I just haven't gotten to Boston yet, that I haven't quite unlocked the training that's going to get me there. But I kept working around with things. I kept, you know, adding more consistency to my training. Um, I've continued to follow the same plans, the Hanson's plans that got me there the first time. And I think some familiarity with them has just made me more capable runner. Uh, I've added in some of that postural work and some of that strength work that I wasn't always consistently doing. And, um, you know, what I've discovered is that when you're not getting to someplace, if you're not where you want to be, it's not necessarily because you're not capable of getting there. It's just because you're not quite equipped yet to do it. And you're not going to know that you're ready to do it until you actually try and fail. And instead of getting discouraged, you go, okay, I'm just not ready yet. And then you go back and you take what you learned and you apply it to the next cycle. And I've done that. And you know what? And I've had a good cycle this time around and it hasn't been a perfect cycle. And I'm going to apply some of the things that I learned and uh, apply it to the next cycle. I'll hopefully be a little more consistent as I go into the fall and we'll see where that marathon goes. But uh, it's not a matter of I'm not capable of getting there. It's just a matter of I haven't been able to get there yet. And I think if you are able to incorporate that word yet into your vocabulary and just try and yeah, fail you know, have days and races that don't go your way. Uh, but, you know, get through it and, and realize, like, it doesn't mean that the whole cycle was a waste of time. It just means that that whole cycle wasn't quite what you needed to do to get to where you needed to go or some things that were outside of your control kept you from getting there. Uh, but you can use what you learned and move on and progress. And, uh, you know, it gets you just that much closer to your goal and just incorporate that word yet into your vocabulary. And it really can, uh, it can get you closer and hopefully get you over the hump. Uh, and then the last one I'm going to talk about today is the concept of moving towards the things that scare me. Um, and, and really, I think this I think this goes back to what I was talking about a couple minutes ago when I talked about how as a soccer team, you can schedule some really easy opponents that aren't going to challenge you. And you can feel really good about beating up on a team that's weaker than you, but it doesn't necessarily challenge you. It doesn't necessarily stretch you. Um, when I was coaching at Ravenna, uh, in Ohio playoff districts, are redrawn every two years. And Ravenna is kind of perfectly tucked between Akron's district and the Youngstown district. And the first two years I was at Ravenna, we were in the Youngstown district. Um, it was a district that we were, we were capable of winning. Um, there are some good teams out in Youngstown. I'm not knocking the teams out in Youngstown. There's some very capable teams out there. Um, that being said, in the time that I was at Ravenna in the Akron district, um, there were teams out of that district that made the state semifinals, the final four, um, multiple years, a state champion was in that district, um, in my time there, as well as another team that had gone to the state finals, you know, three or four years previous, um, in addition to a couple other teams that were always ranked in the top five in the state. And that's before we even got to some of the teams in our own conference, including the one that was, um, that had won conference over us a couple of times. So there were legitimately five or six teams in that conference that, uh, had legit state title aspirations. Um, it was a whole different animal. And we found out going into my third year of Venna that we were moving from the Youngstown district to the Akron district. And it was one of those situations where when I remember when we told the team, it was like, well, there's two ways we can look at this. We can look at it as we are absolutely screwed. There's no way we can beat these teams and we're never going to have a deep run in the playoffs. Or we can look at it as a challenge. We can look at it as these are teams that are scary good that are going to require the absolute best that we're capable of doing. Um, and we'll just kind of put in the time and the effort and see where things go. Um, you know, I, I like to tell you that there's a happy ending that we were the scrappy underdog that was able to go out there and, you know, upset these teams that were uh, head and shoulders above us. We, we, we didn't. Um, but we put together uh, some pretty heroic performances in route to playing some of those teams. Um, you know, the last goalkeeper that I coached at Ravenna, uh, I still think the best performance he ever put together was uh, a game his junior year against Revere, who I think at the time were the defending state champions. Uh, some of the saves he pulled out uh, were just some of the damnedest things I've ever seen. Um, we didn't back down from the fight. We went after the things that scared us, and it didn't work out for us. And that's 
you don't always get what you deserve, unfortunately. Um, but we didn't run away scared from the fight. And um, I've always appreciated the experience of coaching those teams and, and watching those players embrace the challenge as opposed to backing away from it. Um, you know, when it comes to running towards the things that scare us, when I think about like, you know, I talked about building my business earlier, um, it terrifies me. It absolutely terrifies me because I've never done something like this before. But you know what? Like, I don't want to be in the service industry for the rest of my life. I like coaching people. I love coaching people. Uh, I'm fascinated by the material that I coach. Um, I love helping people maximize themselves, change themselves for the better. And so I have to overcome that fear to go after uh, this thing that scares me, you know, as a runner. Um, I've talked about it before, you know, in the context of when we had Mark Freeman on that I got super burned out chasing Boston after I missed getting into it twice, you know, once by two seconds. Um, I won't lie when I, there, there are times I go out and I run and I think about all the work that I'm doing, the time that I'm sacrificing. And, um, you know, if it's going to get me to where I want to go, it's terrifying to think that I could put all this out on the line and something might keep me from getting there. But you know what? Like, I'm not going to be satisfied if I sit on the sideline and uh, don't go after it. And so, you know, when something really scares you, I think that's really a signal that it's something that you're really supposed to chase after because that's where the real growth opportunity happens. And, you know, when you go then back to that growth mindset versus fixed mindset, I don't know if this year is going to go the way that I want it to. Um, I feel really good about where I'm at with my running right now. And like Andrew said on a, you know, a few weeks ago on an episode, uh, if I go conservative for the fall, I'm probably going to waste a training cycle. I'm in good enough shape where I really need to go after it. And so I'm going to, um, but I don't know how it's going to go. And so I might find myself hitting October and running the towpath and um, thinking I got it all figured out. And it might turn out that I don't have it figured out yet, but I would rather go and chase after that thing that scares me than, you know, than not, not try at all. Um, you know, I always think about my, my dad is a huge fan of history. He reads a lot of history and he wrote, he, he read a book on the Wright brothers. And, you know, one of the things when you, when you think about the Wright brothers, um, inventing the airplane is that, you know, everybody knows the story of them in, in Kitty Hawk and, you know, the multiple flights that they took, those two guys sustained some really serious injuries over the year, um, perfecting their plane design, expanding their planes, uh, trying new, you know, new things out. Um, you know, the idea of flying hadn't even been invented yet. And these two guys literally did it without a pilot's license. And if that isn't going after the things that scare you, you know, because you love the challenge, I don't know what is. Um, you know, so I, I think it's just important to, you know, when you think about some of these different performance aspects that I've talked about today, uh, I think the thing that all of them have in common is that they're not really about, they're not really about getting to the destination so much as they're about building the capabilities to handle whatever obstacles come up in the road en route to the, to that destination. And if you're prepared to go after those things that scare you and you build those capabilities that say, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know how this training is going to go. I don't know how this race is going to work out, but I'm going to put my all into it and see where it goes. And if I don't get there, it's still a, a step closer to, you know, the runner I want to be, the person I want to be. Um, I think if you have that mentality, uh, you'll find that it can take you really, really far and you'll really enjoy the experience of, you know, just getting, getting those steps closer to who you truly want to be. Um, it's one of the things that I love most about running is I always feel like running is challenging me to be a better version of myself. And, and all of these things that I've done, you know, all these aspects that I've talked about, um, they've helped me be a better person across the board, not just as a runner and not just as a coach, but, you know, as a, as a friend, as a son, as a brother, as a coworker. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of the many ways running has really improved my life. So hopefully, Hopefully some of these resonate with you. Um, you know, if you have any questions, comments on this, please, you know, Andrew and I would love for people to go out there and review our podcast, you know, go wherever you listen to your podcast, please go on there, rate us, review us. It's a great way for people to discover the show. Um, and if you have any commentary on this episode or any specific episode, you know where to find us on social media. I talked about that before. Um, I'd love to talk with you guys. I love coaching. I love reaching out and talking to people about these things. I'm, I'm more than willing to talk to anybody if they 
um, have any questions on these different performance aspects and attitudes and just different ways that I've applied them um, in the various aspects of my life. Uh, that's it for today's show. Uh, we will be back next week with our regularly scheduled format, both Andrew and I together. Uh, in the meantime, thank you all for listening and enjoy your miles.